Welcome back to New Life Fellowship. Uh, I think it's great that we're all back together. And uh, for the last several weeks, we've been doing, I think we've been doing church a lot like Jesus did, right? He was out doing his thing all over the place, preaching and teaching and healing in a boat on a hill, hillside at a wedding. He was all over the place doing his thing. And uh, I also read somewhere, though, that in Jesus's day, whenever a community got 10 uh, Jewish families or had 10 Jewish families, they would build a synagogue. And I was also thinking that, you know, as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they had to wait until everything was just right before they crossed the Jordan. And then Nehemiah was waiting, dying to go back to that place that they had so he could rebuild. And how Paul was waiting to get back to those churches that he had founded and, and be with those people. And I thought, you know, how appropriate it is now as we're trying to get over COVID that we're finally coming back to our place and having a, a place to gather, I think, is important. And, and I think that that deserves praise to God that we are able to come back at least partially and be together uh, tonight. And uh, so why don't we just pray, give some praise to God that, that we're able to be here tonight on a beautiful day and on our place. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for everything. Uh, we know that times have not been easy here in Saratoga or in our nation uh, recently, but we rest in the promise that you will turn all to your good. It all works out into your plan, and, and God, we just ask that you give us open hearts and open minds tonight as we celebrate coming back uh, at least just a little bit to our place as we gather together uh, to give you praise and worship. Uh, we just ask your blessing on this service tonight. And again, we just cannot say enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Hello, everybody. I think this is the way that we're supposed to do this, right? Together, right? People... I think this is the way that, that God's people are supposed to gather together, right out, outside together, right on a, on a hillside where families are sitting together, where folks are, are eating their, their dinner, but being together, right? This is, the, this is the picture that I have in my mind, maybe not the building behind us, but when you, when you read the story about Jesus, you know, teaching, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and, and just people surrounding him, Right, it looks like this. Amen. So Nathan asked, he gave me an opportunity. I think Greg Greg started to go down. We didn't we didn't share what we were each gonna, you know, share with all of you guys tonight, but but Greg really started on exactly the path that I wanted to go down. One of the things that God's been just laying on my heart that I've been holding for this night together was this idea of, of how God uses containers. Throughout, throughout Scripture, right? And, and they're, they're all over the place, right? And, and he, used the, he used the desert for 40 years as a container for his people, right? And he used Babylon for, right, 70-some-odd years as a container for his people. And he used the grave for Lazarus and for Jesus, as a container, and all of those things were temporary containers. But the, what I wanted to encourage you guys with a little bit tonight, and, and I'm not going to be long because I know Nathan's got a word, but I just wanted to share this with you guys. Probably the, the 
container that most of us know, at least in part, the story about is, right, Noah and that giant container that was full of animals called the ark. And I just want to encourage you, if you guys have not read that story in a little while, to go back and read that in Genesis 7, in, in Genesis 8, and into Genesis 9. Because I, take, I took a lot of comfort as I've looked back at this here recently, right? If you read that story, God puts Noah and his family cooped up, just, the, just them, in that container. And then it started raining, right? 40 days, it says in Genesis 7, it says it rained for 40 days nonstop. Right? It just rained. 40 days in a row. But that wasn't the end of it. Right? That was the end of, the, of a season without coming across or being perceived as overly political. That, that's the end of a phase was the rain stopped. But they didn't get out of the ark the day the rain stopped. Right? It says that for 150 days the waters covered the earth. It wasn't raining anymore, but the earth was still covered for 150 days, right? And it wasn't for, even after those 150 days, they couldn't, they couldn't get out of the ark and go do anything yet, right? That container, that temporary container was still what God was using for them. And it says the waters continued to recede. And then after 40 more days, Noah opened the window, right? And he starts testing for signs. Is it, are we ready to go out and go back? Right? And he's sending out ravens and he's sending out doves. And still he's waiting. All they want to do is get out of that container. Next phase, next phase, next phase. I cannot wait to get out of this container. Can any of you identify with that right now? Lord, I can't wait to get out of this container. Right, but here's the reality, okay? God is never going to waste a container. He's never going to waste a container. And what was on the other side of that container when they got out was a covenant, right, of God starting something new with Noah and with his family. Right on the other side of this container, I just want to declare again, this goes back to, to something I shared with all of you all the way back in January. Right? Something the size of a man's hand. On the other side of that container, God is doing something new. And we're dying to get out of the container. And it will come. Right? The water is receding. We know that. Make sure that you give God the opportunity to finish using the container. Amen? He has something on the other side of that. And we're imminently grabbing a hold of it. Tonight is the, the beginning of us starting to grab a hold of what comes on the other side of that container. So I don't want to miss that. I don't want you guys to miss that. But I would encourage you, go back and reread that story in Genesis 7 and Genesis 8 and make sure that you don't stop before you get to Genesis 9. Right? Read the whole thing. God is going to make use of the container from the very beginning until the very end. Amen? So before I, I know Nathan's going to share, I just want to do one last thing. I want to pray for the rest of our time together tonight, but I want to just share real quick, I want to ask you guys as we pray, just a, a blessing for, for Nathan and for Rob, who week in and week out, while well, we've been in this container at home, largely with our families, who have been coming, these guys have been 
pouring out their lives, right? So that we could gather together when otherwise it would not be possible. And so if you're here, if you're on Zoom or on Facebook still benefiting from these guys, I want to just take a moment. I know we, we got done. We made it through a whole song worshiping the Lord, but can we just give these guys a round of applause for the way that they have continued to lay down their lives, right? Week in and week out. Um, yeah, we just so appreciate you guys. So let's pray. Lord, we are so blessed to be your people that you have plans for us and purposes for us. And Lord, we don't always see the big picture and we don't always understand the timelines. And Lord, sometimes we're a little slow to learn the lessons, but we know that you are faithful beyond what we can even comprehend. And Lord, tonight we just recognize your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Lord, that it's not the full measure of what we desire. We know that it's not the full measure of what you have for us. But Lord, just like Greg said, Lord, we're coming back to, to keep building. Just like Nehemiah. And Lord, we want to see what you have next. Lord, and by faith, continue to move forward. Lord, we want to lay hold of what you have for us. And so tonight, Lord, let it be the, the beginning of that as we gather together, at least in part, some of us. Lord, looking forward to the day where all of us will be able, Lord, to continue to, to worship together in person. Lord, we bless you tonight, Father, because of your unfailing love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Great to see all of you tonight. For all the people that are joining us on Zoom and Facebook Live, you're part of New Life too, and we, we are looking forward to a time when you can all be with us as well. But um, it's great to see the church family coming together in part in this container that we're currently in. Um, and I think that's such a good, a good picture for where we're at. And uh, grateful for all the, the support of the church during this time as well. So... Way back when we first started this, uh, I'm trying not to, I'm, like, do I preach to the camera? What do I do? That's what I usually do. I'm going to preach to you guys because you're here. But way back when we first started this series uh, in 1 Thessalonians, as I was going through the first uh, chapter a month or so ago, I really felt like God wanted me to save part of that chapter for tonight's service. Not knowing how we would meet, but knowing that eventually we would meet together physically and um, I really felt like God, God wanted me to earmark this piece of Thessalonians and not preach on it, hold on to it. And so I've been thinking about this passage for a little while uh, as we have been kind of progressing together here. And we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 uh, this evening. I'm just going to read this out loud for you uh, before we get into the, the sermon. It says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, I want to give you thanks for this body, the church. I thank you for, for their love, their faith, their hope in you. I pray that tonight, Lord, we would hear from your word, the ministry of your word, 
that just as the Thessalonians were commended for being people who received the word, not as from men, but from God, that tonight as we come into your word for us, we would receive it as a word from you for us as well. And in so doing, to bring joy to your heart, God. Just pray your blessing on the rest of our evening, Lord, on this text, on this sermon, that we would be, we would set out right in this new uh, season we are entering of the church with the right mindset, the right expectations. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know about you guys, but every year, at least in my family, my, 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 uh, my mom and dad and our side of the family, we always go to my mother's house or my sister's house and we watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Who, who else does that as a tr- tradition? There's a few people, not too many. I guess I'm a really good consumer. But we watch that parade. We kind of make fun of all the people there singing and their terrible lip syncing. Uh, the kids love to see the giant floats of the, of the animals. And it's always some cartoon I've never heard about, like a kitten and a unicorn put together in squares. I, I don't know. Um, all kinds of stuff that makes the kids really happy. But what comes right after the Thanksgiving Day Parade? And don't say Christmas uh, Thanksgiving breakfast. What is it? What comes right after the parade? The dog show. The dog show. It's a freaky little thing. It's a freaky little subculture. And if, if you know anything about me, I, I love subcultures. I love to meet people that are really into something. I like to go to conventions and just see people that are totally into Spider-Man or totally into, devoted, have devoted their lives to board games. You know, it's very interesting, uh, like, like uh, in the punk rock scene or just people that follow certain bands. It's a subculture. And there's certainly a subculture of dog people. I know some of you are here at the church who love dogs more than, uh, more than humans um, and claim they love you more than other humans do. But every year we watch, we, we can't really turn away. We kind of watch this dog show together. And, uh, and it's, it's a freaky thing. There's 2,000 dogs uh, from 193 breeds that are evaluated by these judges. And it's re- kind of hypnotizing to watch in a way. You can't really look away from it. Um, my favorite part, of course, is when the dogs do not cooperate with their, with their handlers. I just love to see them try to bring the dog out for a trot, and the dog's just not having it. It's always really fun for me because um, I'm just kind of a jerk that way. But I, I began to ask myself, who are these people that have become experts on these dogs? Like, where do they come from? How does this work? So I asked the Internet, which is always where you get the most accurate information at all times. It says, in a dog conformation show, judges aren't merely comparing the dogs to each other. Rather, they judge each dog against the parameters of the idealized version of its breed. So there's like an idealized version of every breed of dog, and each dog is evaluated based on its comparison to this ideal dog. In other words, when the judge looks at your poodle, he's comparing the poodle to the written standards of the ideal poodle. There is an ideal poodle. It sounds like Play-Doh, you know, kind of like platonic uh, shadows in the sky. If you've seen that, show, that movie, Best in Show, you've seen a parody of a dog show uh, where that kind of make, makes fun of this subculture. But basically, with all of the, the great variety in dogs and differences between, between individual dogs, there is these set of unique traits that make every breed special, and that's the, the gauge by which these dogs are evaluated. So here's a good question in coming to our text tonight. In all of our uniqueness as followers of Christ, when it comes to being Christians who will stand before God someday. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. We're all going to stand before God, but we're all very unique people. Um, what qualities form the baseline of someone that God approves as a successful follower of Christ and as a worker approved of God? What is that idealized Christian uh, in all of our diversity? What are the things that make up uh, a Christian that pleases God when we stand before his throne? And uh, I think that when you read that 2 Corinthians 5.10 passage, I think it's really surprising to a lot of Protestants to read that because we always think to ourselves, well, we're just going to bypass standing before God altogether. We're, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the truth is, scripturally, that every person stands before God and has to give an account for the way they live their life in the flesh, both bad and good. The difference is, some people are going to be saved from condemnation by the grace of Jesus Christ. Others people will be, con people will be condemned because they rejected God's uh, free offering of Jesus Christ for them. But all of us are actually going to be evaluated for the fruit we produce in our lives. And we're going to be evaluated for how we use our, our gifts, our talents, how we use our finances. We're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for how we lived. We don't have to live in fear as Christians. We are saved by grace. And really everything we do is in response to the grace of God. But we will stand before God. There is this sense that, um, that it matters how we live in the flesh. You know, Paul was not super concerned about, as I said last, last well, three days ago, um, Paul was not super concerned about getting converts as we are often in the church. Like, oh, someone came to Christ. And then we're sort of like, they're, they're good, you know? But Paul was concerned about discipleship. He was, he, he was concerned about, are these people meeting the base guidelines of a poodle? <laughs> okay? <laughs> to stretch the metaphor. Um, are they meeting those core components that God is looking for in people? Because Paul knew that um, we're all going to stand before God. And so he wanted, as far as it was dependent on him, the people under his authority pastorally to know, you know, this is what God's looking for, okay? So we come to this kind of, uh, kind of crossroads where we have to say, scripturally, how do we define a Christian? Uh, how do we define a Christian, someone that's walking with God, someone that's a worker approved? And I think the answer is found in today's passage and in many other places in the Bible. It's this these three very core things. And again, I did, I did talk about this concept last year as well. We will be measured by our faith, our hope, and our love as Christians. These are the base criteria that God is going to take into mind when he looks at our lives. Listen to this passage. And the, mind you, this is one of many passages just like it throughout the Bible, both from Paul, from Jesus, and other, and other writers of the epistles. In Thessalonians 1-2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. What is driving your your life right now, during this season that we're in, during this time of being in this container, as Jason put it. Now, what is driving, driving you? What is God looking for us, looking in us, um, as we come to stand before his throne? What is God looking for as we spend time as a body of Christ over the next two months and phase into fellowship once again? I think God is looking for faith, hope, and love. And I think we can go into this passage. The good news is it's very simple. The bad news is that 
there's like a billion different times that you will be tested on these things as we go into the coming months and in your, and in your own family life. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to do, but it's a very simple thing God's looking for from his people. And it's stuff that we would all agree is good. And we're going to look at a little bit more of what this says. Now, as we come together, what must we do? We must express faith, hope, and love. Those three things were something that Paul remembered about the Thessalonians church, and he wanted to uh, reinforce that in them. These are three gifts. If you've ever been a reader at a wedding, how many people have read 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding? Yeah, I knew there'd be several. Was that my wedding, Aaron? It was. <laughs> yeah, we pretty much went for the most generic verse possible. 1 Corinthians 13, it's a passage about spiritual gifts, not about love, but it's about doing the spiritual gifts in love. But that's the first time when Paul mentions these three things, faith, or that's not the first time, that's one of the most well-known times. The first time he ever said those three things together was in 1 Thessalonians. That was the first time. And he says, he talks about when we come face to face with Jesus, you know, we will be made perfect, we will be, made, we will be fully known, and at that time when we face Jesus, three things will remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. That's another kind of like nod to like, you know, when we stand before God, when we're in heaven and fully realizing our salvation and there's no sin and we're not marred by, by those things, what will be left behind when we pass through? It'll be faith, hope, and love. Those are the three things that will, that will exist, and the greatest of those is love. I want to go um, through, this, through, this pa- through, the, through these three things in the context of our passage today, First uh, Corinthians 1, 3. We remember before our God, your work produced... By faith. Work, I, I did a study on these words just in, in the original language to see what they meant, to give us a better idea of what they meant. Work is kind of what you would think it is. It's whatever you undertake to do. Any product, whatever, anything accomplished by hand, art, industry, or mind. Work is an act, a deed, a thing done. Business, employment, that with which one is occupied. Work is pretty much everything you put your hand to in life. You can work uh, on your family relationships. You can work in your professional job. You can work at a hobby. Uh, you can work on your relationship to your church family. You can work on anything. And, and uh, so he says uh, in, the, in the verse, the, the context is work produced by faith. So anything you put your hand to is work. That's ergon. Faith is the word pistis in Greek. Faith is conviction of the truth of anything. Belief, in particular, in the Bible, and a conviction and a belief respecting man's relationship with God and with divine things. Generally, including the idea of trust and holy passion and fervor born of faith and joined with it. So Paul says, I remember your work of faith. And if we put this together, you know, this might be confusing because see, people say we're saved by faith, not by our works. That's true. Um, work of faith is really fruit producing. That's what this means. Paul remembers, Paul, of course, teaches you're saved by faith, not by works. But if you have true faith, you will produce fruit. And Paul remembers the work of their faith. You know, the things they produced, they were based on their conviction on their relationship with God. Paul remembers those things and says, that's essential. Your work produced by faith uh, is, is an essential part of your life. Um, and again, if you have true faith, it's evidenced by the work that comes out of, your, comes out of you. It's, it's fruit. It's actually um, something you could think about your life and almost measure. Like, am I producing fruit for God in this area? 
if you have true faith, you will produce fruit, you'll produce work uh, that pleases God. So one of the things that, that, Paul is, that God is looking for when he evaluates us is our work produced by faith. You know? How did what we believed produce fruit in our lives? What kind of fruit was that? The next little phrase that he says in the second part of our, our triplet of faith, hope, and love, uh, this is love, and it says, we remember your labor prompted by love. This, in this particular instance, I was very, uh, I thought it was very helpful to look at the original language as well. Labor is the word kopos, which means intense labor united with trouble and toil. Intense labor united with trouble and toil. And he says, we remember your labor prompted by love. Love is the, the word agape, which many of you have heard before. And that's affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, brotherly love. So what Paul is saying is, we remember your labor prompted by love. We remember your fatigue, your copos, to the point of being weary. We remember how you wore yourself out in expressing agape, affection, goodwill, brotherly love to the people around you. How many people have ever felt worn out by loving too much? <laughs> like, like that's, yeah, it's a real thing. And that's a good thing. Like, that, if you, I think that there is something about love that is, is can be very fatiguing because, because love is really what you do, not how you feel, right? So sometimes when I, when I encounter, um, let's say there's a couple having trouble in their marriage, you know, uh, they've both really worked really hard at it. And I, I have said this phrase, to, to one or the other of them, and this is, this is not like a, a, you know, a tell-all thing or anything. I'm just saying, I've said the phrase, there's probably no one that loves you as much as your spouse. They're like, really? And I'm like, well, yeah. Look how much work you guys are putting into trying to love each other well in your marriage. Like, this is a labor, an intense toiling and trouble, a labor to love with affection, with benevolence, with grace and love towards another person. That's not easy. That's hard work. And Paul remembers the labor uh, prompted by love. You know, we, we think about, we, we read the book, word love in the Bible, and we think, oh, good feelings. I think Paul is saying, like, that was work. That was heavy lifting, and you guys did a good job. You know, this is a church made up of, of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and Jewish people. It was a lot of labor for the Jewish people to accept the Gentile believers, people that weren't of the Jewish race, and saying, you can be part of the family of God now. That was, that was a labor of love for the, for the Jewish people, um, trying to get along with the, the new converts. Uh, there, there were people, undoubtedly, that had, just like in our day, in our churches, that had annoying personality characteristics that were, you know, and that's, of course, a subjective thing. But, you know, there's people that rubbed each other the wrong way. There's people that didn't like each other's relational style, that butt heads with each other. And Paul says, I've noticed that you work hard to love unconditionally, with great affection, with brotherly, even family love, at a time when it's very difficult. And that's something I commend you for. That's a fruit of a Christian. That's a fruit of a real cr Christian. Your work produced by faith, your labor, which is motivated by love. And I think that if you, if you think about your most difficult relationships and you, are, and you are continuing to work at them and love, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friendship that's really troubled, you know, that labor produced by love uh, what you do with that, to, to get to a place where you can love them the way that God loved you is something that will define you as a Christian. You know, that's, that's why you know, our worship and our, our worship of God and, and our relationships with others cannot be separated. That's why when we come to the communion table, uh, we can't, uh, Jesus says, leave your gift at the, at the altar, 
turn around and go and find that person you have a problem with and fix that relational problem, then come and worship me. It's very important that we labor to humble ourselves, keep our relationships with others right, uh, based on our love for God and trying to emulate the love he's shown for us. I think one of the things we'll realize when we stand before God's judgment seat, and we, we're, we're going to see his glory, his beauty, we're going to see how his plan was perfect, we're going we're gonna, to all these things. You know, one of the things we're going to see is, wow, God forgave me a lot more than I thought he did. There was a lot more stuff in my life that was off, and God gave me grace and all this stuff. And we are going to then think about the people that we uh, did not express that same grace to, and we're going to think like, oh, I should have loved, I should have loved them. You know, we'll be so humbled by the love of God when we stand before him. I'm convinced of that. There's more grace we are getting than we know, and we need to give grace to each other. I think in this, in this container, it's a perfect example um, that, that we're going through in the church. We have different things we're trying to do, different things we have to do, different things we're just doing because we think they're the right thing to do. Everyone has, of course, everyone has different opinions of everything all the time. And God calls us to a labor of love where we kind of um, take on the same mind as Christ and love other people as Christ has loved us even if that means laying aside some of our preferences to do so. Paul remembers their labor prompted by love. Finally, the, th the third, the, the hope, it says, and we remember your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The word endurance is a translation of this word that means steadfastness in the Bible. In the, in the New Testament, steadfastness, this word endurance, is characteristic of a person who has not swerved from their deliberate purpose and their loyalty to faith and serving God, even by the greatest trials and suffering. Endurance is patiently and steadfastly holding on, if you will, hanging in there in extreme suffering, uh, enduring in walking the path steadfastly because of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our expectation and joyful expectation of our eternal salvation uh, in Jesus and also the coming of Christ. These are, these are the things that inspire our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ and all he is doing. Patience is an active, consistent, moving forward in the face of great difficulties. Sometimes the things that we go through in our lives are a real test of our faith. I mean, I think, I think that many of you could say your faith has really been tested during this COVID-19 time. And not just because of that, but because of what's revealed in your life and what you've had to walk through. And sometimes the things we go through are a test of our faith. Do we just say these things or are we serious about them? You know, the difficulties of life will uh, bring them up. That, that will show up in how we deal with our afflictions and difficulties in our lives. So he says, you know, I've no, I, I commend you for your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and how that led to you enduring, being steadfast. You know, Paul thinks about these people who are being persecuted, uh, be, being maybe killed or marginalized or rejected from their families or kicked out of town like he was uh, for, because of their faith and because of their hope in Jesus. And he says, I'm very impressed that you were steadfast in these very difficult circumstances in your faith because of your hope in Jesus. Some of you have been very steadfast in your faith through very difficult circumstances. And uh, when I hear those stories, it's extremely inspiring to me. Uh, and I, and I, I think that you don't realize how much that means to the people around you, to your children, to see, to see parents go through difficult times and be steadfast through them. I will say that I've drawn strength 
from seeing steadfast Christians go through extreme trials and suffering and still hold on to their hope in God. Uh, it lets you know that there, is, there could be more to the story than what you think there could be, right? Now, many times I have thanked uh, friends who are going through great suffering for providing such a good example to me and to other people uh, in the church or other people that are Christians because it means so much. So we should have this, this patient endurance inspired by our hope in the sight of God our Father. Um, and again, at the end when we face Jesus on his throne, the things that will remain are faith, hope, and love. These three things appear all through the Bible, as I said, faith, hope, and love. There are eight different references to this, which I will, be able, I will send out later. One study I did on this passage uh, said, faith, love, and hope are all looking outward, and all of them have their own tenses. Faith rests on the past tense, faith in what God has done for us on the cross, and faith looks backwards to a crucified Savior. Love works in the present tense. Love is what you should be manifesting as you go, go now, continually, and love looks upward to a crowned Savior. Hope looks to the future, the future tense. Our hope is in our aspiration for what is coming. Hope looks onto a coming Savior. A true Christian is evaluated by faith, hope, and love. And Paul is giving thanks for this active faith, this hardworking love, and this patient, enduring hope in these people. In all of our uniqueness, in all of our God-given differences, uh, I, I am convinced that God is looking for faith, hope, and love in every believer as, as he looks at our lives, as we anticipate standing before him. These are the things he's looking for. You know, do I have faith? Do I have hope? Do I have love? And I think these are going to be the questions that will be very important to us as we phase into worship in the next few months. How is our faith, hope, and love looking as we are getting back together, being around big groups of people for the first time, interacting with the body, interacting with other families, the thoughts we have, the things that we do, the, the ways we express grace to one another during a difficult time? Do we have fruit-bearing work inspired by faith, sometimes painful labor prompted by our love and endurance or steadfastness inspired by our hope in Jesus Christ and both his presence here with us and in his coming. So as everything is kind of changing and moving back, as we're exiting one container going into another, if you will, let's keep our eyes on these three things as, as, the, as the gauges on our dashboard lights, as Rob Reimer says. Let's keep our eyes on our faith, our hope, and our love. Keep our eyes on those things when we meet together as a body, when we interact with one another as a church. And I think if we focus on our faith, hope, and love, that we will do well, and we will have, I'm convinced, thousands of both microscopic and macroscopic opportunities to express these things and to produce fruit for God during this time of change and, uh, and, di and difference. And all of this, everything we're going through here is not for the sake of getting through it, it's for the sake of producing fruit for God. That's what we're doing. We're producing fruit that will last, that will bring glory to God, uh, that, that will, will glorify him at his coming and when we stand before him. Um, as insignificant as the, all of these small and big things might seem, we're not getting through this just to get through to the other side. We're getting through this to produce fruit for God, like with anything else in our lives. And uh, if we keep our eyes on those three things, I think we'll do quite well. Father, I bless your people. I thank you for 
these trials that we go through that do uh, increase our faith, our hope, and our endurance. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people expressed by faith, hope, and love, that from a place of forgiveness and humility at all you have done for us and continue to do for us, we would be prompted, motivated to love other people the way that you have loved us, to give the same kind of grace to other people that you have given to us, to be steadfast through difficult circumstances and provide an example for